Wow. Really, really filled me up. So we are talking about grace today. And uh, whether you just happened to stumble in here today or perhaps you got dragged here (laughs) or maybe you're here every single week, um, this is a great day to be here. And this is why. Because when we really come to understand grace, it brings us such incredible joy, such incredible joy. The more you understand grace, the more you'll be drawn to God, the more you'll love him the more grateful you'll become. God draws our hearts to him through grace. And I think that grace is a very important topic. Um, We sort of live in this era right now of gracelessness. Um, I'm not even sure that's really a word, (laughs) gracelessness. Um, I apologize to the English teachers in the audience. I know you're out there. But here's what I'm trying to say, that we live in a time when grace is rare, it's scarce. Our culture has grace anorexia, if you will. (laughs) So what is grace anyway? Well, grace is undeserved favor. It's God giving me what I need and not what I deserve. See, the concept of grace is actually quite countercultural if you think about it. It goes against our nature and it goes against a lot of the messages that we get from our media and our culture. So, for example, you might recognize some of these. Let's see if you do. Such messages like this. There's no such thing as a free, what? Lunch, right. No such thing as a free lunch. We make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. You got to say it like the guy in the commercial. We earn it. (laughs) God helps those who help themselves, right. And you get what you Deserve. Right. And we hear these messages, they're echoed back to us through some of our most popular media, some of the things that we watch, some of the most popular television shows. Things like American Idol or The Biggest Loser, The Bachelor, The Apprentice, or even like Survivor. You know, have you ever noticed what uh, some of these programs have in common? You know, they're all about, you know, competition and strategies, finding ways to climb our way to the top on top of everyone else and be able to be on top of the pack, right? It's kind of this dog-eat-dog world out there. You know, in some ways, I think we've kind of reverted back to the gladiator days of old. (laughs) And instead of, you know, we get out there, instead of battling with chain mail and lions and daggers, you know, we fight with microphones and spandex and briefcases. You know, out there fighting toward one another. Now, I don't have anything necessarily against entertainment, and a little bit of competition now and then is not a bad thing, okay? But here is something I think that we've heard, that entertainment reflects culture. And we all can be concerned when our culture fails to have grace. And I really feel like our culture needs grace. And I think that we do too. See, the reality is, is that a typical person nowadays who's looking and searching for grace... Christians aren't necessarily the people that they'll go to first to find it. We really need to understand a renew understanding of the gospel because it's the gospel that gives us the foundation for grace. And I think one of the greatest places in Scripture to find the clear presentation of the gospel is in the first book that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. So if you don't know who Paul is, Paul was a guy that despised Christians. I mean, he persecuted them. In fact, he was on his way to arrest a group of Christians when Jesus appeared to him and changed his life. And from that moment on, 
Paul went out to spread the good news about Jesus to as many people as he could. And he would gather them together and organize them so they could find fellowship together in what we now know as churches all over the known world at that time. So one of these churches that Paul formed was in a city called Corinth. And Corinth really, really needed God's grace. And Corinth was this port city on the edge of Greece. And uh, it was a place where travelers and traders came. It was also a place where there was incredible corruption and violence and sexual sin and all kinds of false religions and idolatry. Corinth was famous for two big monuments. One was this temple of Apollo, and the other was the temple of Aphrodite, where hundreds of prostitutes engaged in sexual worship practices. And so if you can just kind of imagine the people, these new believers, fresh out of this culture, forming this church, they were very raw. And as the church grew, they suffered with infighting and sexual sin and pride. And so they wrote this letter to Paul, and they asked for his help. And Paul wrote a letter back. And that's what we now know as the book of 1 Corinthians. It was to the people of Corinth, the Corinthians. And this is what he told them in chapter 15. As they struggle with all of this, the, the factions and the, and the things going on in the church, the struggles that they had, he had them focus on what he said was the most important thing. And he tells us this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4. Let's read it together. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters... Of the good news I preached to you before, you welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It's this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message that I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. And so you see, the gospel or the good news is the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the witness resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing else can save us. In fact, Paul tells us in the book of Romans 1, chapter, or chapter 1, 16, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So we're going to look at this gospel and see what it teaches us. And the first thing is this, that Jesus died and he took our place. Jesus died and took our place. See, part of these cultural values that we kind of transfer into our spiritual life is the idea that in order to get into heaven, we kind of have to earn our way there. You know, it's kind of like this concept of, you know, we try to live a good life on earth and do the best that we can. And at the end of our life, you know, if there's more good things that we've done than bad things, it's kind of like this cosmic teeter-totter that God looks at like a scale. And he kind of looks at that and there's more good things, the good pile's better than the big pile. Then God looks at it and says, okay, good person, come on into heaven. <laughs> it doesn't really work that way. It doesn't work that way. You see, since heaven is God's dwelling place, he sort of gets to make the rules as to who gets in and, you know, who doesn't. And as we looked at God's word, I don't know if you noticed, but was there anything in there about what we did to earn salvation? No, nothing at all. It's because we don't earn our way. We don't work our way into heaven, into God's favor. That's not the way it works. It's a gift of grace that God gives us. 
And we really, really need to continually be reminded of grace because it's so easy for us to default to our self-centered religion, you know, where it's all about us. See, the gospel is all about God's work and his grace and his power. It's a picture of God. And it's funny because it's always like we want to peek our head in there and we kind of want to make it about us. It's almost like we photobomb God. (laughs) I don't know if you know what photobombing is. If you don't, let me explain, all right? So photobombing is when you're taking a selfie. You may not even know what a selfie is. (laughs) A selfie is when you take a picture of yourself. Why would I do that, you ask? Well, ask a teenage girl. She'll explain it to you because I don't understand it myself. Are you taking a selfie? (laughs) And a picture of yourself, you're taking a picture of somebody else, right? And then as you're taking a picture, someone who's not supposed to be in the picture jumps into the picture to make it all about them, right? They bomb the picture. Here's an example, okay? Say you're on the beach with, with your friend, and boom, there you are. Hi! You're bombed, all right? You can also get photobombed at a Star Trek convention. Get bombed by a Trekkie there. <laughs> Animals can photobomb you. <laughs> That's a great one. Yeah, bombing at the lake. Yoo-hoo! There's me. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and yeah, even celebrities can photobomb you. Kind of fun when that happens. <laughs> and photobombing can be dangerous. You have to sort of be careful. Our tendency is to want to photobomb God and minimize grace. But what we really need to do is to step back and glory in what God has done. Glory in what he's done. Here's the true picture, the real picture. It starts in Romans 3, 23 and 24, and it says this. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with his undeserved kindness declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Everyone has sinned. Everyone. And if you don't recognize that, you're living in a river in Egypt. Yes, you're living in denial. (laughs) So here's how sin works, okay? Sin works like this. God created us, and not only did he create us, he sustains us. Right at this moment, in every cell, and every atom of our body, God holds all of that together. He sustains us. Literally, we owe him our life and our existence. And what sin is, is sin is the rejection of God as our creator and our sustainer. It's the rebellion of our will to refuse to follow him as our creator and as the ruler of our life. And it's the refusal to follow his ways and his law. You see, sin isn't just little stuff that we do, bad things, but it's also part of who we are. It's part of our nature as people who have fallen away from God. Sin separates us from God. You see, it's a crime and an injustice against God that must be paid for. And we don't think we owe God anything, if we're honest. (laughs) Matter of fact, we kind of think that we are our own God. You know, I run my own life. No one tells me what to do. I run my life. I'm my own God. We don't like to call it that, but that's the way that we act. Now, if you really think that you're God out there, there's probably someone sitting next to you that can tell you otherwise. (laughs) Hopefully. We're not God. And we really do have a debt that we owe to God. 
And since God is holy and he's just, you see, he can't just be passive about injustice. He can't sit idly by. He has to act according to his nature. And you see, God, yes, he's perfect love, but he's also a perfect and righteous judge. And he has to judge sin. And this is the beauty of the gospel right here. The beauty of the gospel is it combines God's perfect love with his perfect justice. Look at what it says here in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God says to you, God made Christ, who never sinned, God's Son, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Wow. See, Jesus did what we couldn't do for ourselves. When we least deserved it, he paid the debt for us, and he freed us from sin. He laid down his life. He paid the price for us. That's grace, and it is so amazing. Next from the gospel, we learn that Jesus was buried. He was buried, and he ended the power of sin and death. When Jesus died, he paid the debt that we owed to God. And at that point, sin and death had no longer any power over us. Sin no longer separated us from God. And when we get to heaven, we get to live forever with him. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and 56 to 57 says this. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory, for sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us the victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, because Jesus died for our sin, God doesn't see our sin anymore. He sees us in Christ. He sees us as pure. He sees us as righteous, and he sees us even as holy. The barrier has been removed, and we've been set free. The gospel also tells us that Jesus rose from the dead, and he came to life, and he brings us new life. When Jesus rose from the dead, he returned in newness of life, and he unites our life with his so that we can also have new life in him. And when he resurrected from the dead, he proved to us that we will also rise with him from the dead. Romans 6, 5 and 6 and 8 says this. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power over our lives. And since we've died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. Mm. See, Jesus' resurrection is a promise of new life and the life to come, but it also represents the newness of life that we experience right now, a new creation, a new life in Him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. God is so full of mercy and grace, so full of mercy and grace. See, in his mercy, he doesn't give us what we would deserve, which is punishment and judgment. But in his grace, he gives us what we don't deserve, 
which is his grace and forgiveness and new life. See, grace isn't about what we do, but grace is about what God has done for us, what God has done for us. So if we don't do anything to deserve grace, how should we respond to it? How do we respond to grace? Well, the first thing is this. We need to receive it and don't try to earn it. We need to receive it and don't try to earn it. So grace is a free gift that's given to us by God that we don't earn. And most of us in the room, many of us have heard this before. We say, yes, yes, I'm saved by grace. So good. I've been hearing this. I love this. I'm saved by grace. But at the same time, I think a lot of us still really struggle, if we're honest, and this is so important to focus on, if we're really honest, we still struggle with the idea that we have to perform in order to please God. Do you recognize that in yourself? I do it in myself. That a lot of times, we're not actually living in grace when we doubt God's total love and acceptance for us. We slip into this performance-based faith. And some of us, we perform really well, you know? We have a great day, and we're just like, God's going to be so happy with me because I did my quiet time today. Huh. <laughs> and other times, you know, many of us feel like failures because it's, it's like, ah, oh, I just feel like I'm a failure of being a Christian. I feel like I'm a terrible parent. I feel like I'm failing in my life. I'm not a good friend. I feel like I don't read my Bible enough. God is just must be so disappointed in me. And instead of knowing the smile of God, we just sort of sense, instead of seeing that God sees us clothed in righteousness of Christ, we just sense his frown. Let's take a look at this video.
that great? It's such a great picture of God because God wants to give us his grace. Grace is a free, undeserved gift, and he wants to give it to us. In fact, Isaiah 30, 18 says, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He enjoys being gracious to you. He's not mad or disappointed in you. He delights in you, and he loves you. Ephesians 2, 4, 8 to 9 says this, but God is so rich in mercy And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation's not a reward for the good things we've done, so no one can boast about it. God's grace is a gift that we receive by faith. And what do you do with a gift? Well, you receive it, and you're grateful for it, right? See, some of us think, you know, we receive this gift of grace, but then we feel like it's our job to go back and pay God back by living a good Christian life, right? You see, grace is a gift. It's not a loan that we got to pay back. It's a gift that we receive. Grace isn't just the way that we meet God, but it's the way that we learn to live in him and join and breathe in and live life in grace. Next, we need to learn to embrace it. We need to embrace grace and not abuse it. Embrace it. Now, some of us, well, you know, there's still part of us that's like, we've got to hit the brakes here for a minute. Grace doesn't mean we can just go out and do whatever we want to, right? Exactly. That is true. That's exactly right. You see, we abandon grace when we downplay God's holiness and we minimize the seriousness of sin. The gospel tells us that Jesus died for sinners. That's a big deal. When we play around with sin and we treat forgiveness like it's a small, trivial thing, that's not grace. See, grace is free, but it's not cheap. Jesus paid his life for our grace. And Paul addresses this issue in a letter that he wrote to the Christians in Rome. In Romans 6, 1 and 2 and 16, it says this. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Don't you realize that you become the slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. Or you can choose to obey God, which lead to righteous living. The proper response to getting right with God is right living. Not out of a sense of obligation, but out of a sense of gratitude and love and joy. And that is what brings a smile to the heart of God. And third and last, we need to learn to live in it. We need to live in grace and don't desert it. Have you ever um, received a gift, you know, and you look at it and then you kind of put it in the closet or stick it out in the garage? (laughs) Now, I hate to admit this, but a couple of Christmases ago, uh, my daughter, she brought me, she bought me this thing for Christmas. It's a head scratcher. It looks like a daddy long legged spider made out of metal. It goes on your head (laughs) and it's supposed to relieve stress. Um, I really could have used that this week because I had a little bit of a stressful week, uh, but it's sitting in my closet. You see, any gift that we receive and we don't use, it doesn't do us a whole lot of good, does it? 
And I think a lot of us have settled for kind of a goldfish type of grace. You know, it's like a goldfish. It sits on a shelf, and it looks real pretty, but it just doesn't do a whole lot. We need to grab a hold of grace. We need to live in grace. We need to put the amazing back into grace. Galatians 5, 24 and 25 says this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and their desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. See, there's this sense that we need to live out the gospel every single day, that we need to live out the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus every single day of our life. You see, there's a part of us that when we become Christians that just needs to die, that sinful old self, that selfish, self-fulfilling will of ours, we need to nail it to the cross each day and get rid of it. Jesus said this, He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. Yeah, our old self needs to die. And then it needs to be buried. (laughs) Because the tendency is that we want to kind of resuscitate our old self again and bring it back to life. It needs to be buried. We need to bury it. And then when we do, out of the pain of death and the sorrow of that, something happens. There's a resurrection that occurs, a new life that comes, a new beginning when we thought that it was the end. See, our old self dies and our new true self comes to life, life in the spirit, life in the spirit of God. And when that happens, we enjoy the fruits of the spirit, which are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. And when we walk in the Spirit like that, and we're led by the Holy Spirit, then Jesus begins to do His work in and through us. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. See, God wants us to live in grace and share his grace with others. That's the gospel. He wants his children to share the grace that we've received with the whole world. It's this grace that's for you and for me, for all of us. Pastor Tim Keller said this quote. I think it's great. It it says, the power of the gospel comes in two movements. First, it says, I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe but then quickly follows with this. I am more accepted and loved than I ever dared hope. It's grace that conquers our sin. It gives us life, the grace of God through Jesus Christ. It's our living hope, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. We're going to move into a time of communion. And communion is such a perfect example of grace because we're gathered here we're gathered here together as god's people as the body of christ and we've come to remember what christ did for us the sacrifice that he made see god came in a human body and we break bread to symbolize that his body was broken for us in order to make us whole 
And we also drink juice to remind us of Jesus' blood, that he became our substitute and bled and died and gave his life for us to cleanse us of our sin. you pray with me? Perhaps um, you've come today and you were looking for grace. And God's grace has found you today. And God is speaking to your heart. And you know it's him. And he's calling to you and he says, I have a gift for you that you've been looking for. And it's a free gift. It's not something you have to work for. It's not something you have to labor over. It's something that I just want to bless you with. It's the gift of my son, Jesus. He's done all the work for you. He's paid for your sin. And if you would just receive it, I want to give you that gift of grace that you could become my child. If God's tugging on your heart, just like he tugged on my heart 30 years ago, you know it's him. Would you just say, God, I received that gift. I want to take that grace. I don't understand all the pieces of this and how it all works, but I recognize that you're calling out to me and I just want, God, what you have to give me. I want to be a new person. I want to be in your family. And God, as we come to this time of communion, thank you for this reminder. As we just picture in our mind you sitting with your disciples and, and, and as we gather thousands of years later, God, that in this moment, Lord, you're so very present and you want to speak your grace over us. Thank you for that gift. And I pray you renew our passion for your forgiveness, God, our passion for your grace. They would never become old to us. God, we invite you to renew us in your grace. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask our ushers to come down and and prepare to serve us. And I'm also going to ask a favor, and I want to be sensitive with this, but I want to ask a favor of those of you who have not received Jesus as your Savior yet. And that would be this, that just out of the the significance of what communion means, I would just ask that you would be an observer and not participate in communion Um, at this time. Appreciate if you could do that for us. As the um, ushers serve us, um, I'd ask that you hold on to those elements and then we'll take them together. Our worship team is going to play a song to help us to really just bathe in God's grace. It's a great song that talks about the grace of God. It's called The Scandal of Grace. And so I would hope that you just really take a moment and really soak in God's grace as we listen together.
night before Jesus was crucified, he was gathered there with his disciples and he broke bread and he told them, he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Will you repeat this phrase after me? Jesus, I remember you. And then um, Jesus took the cup and he told him, this represents my blood that was poured out for you. It's the sign of a new covenant. It's a covenant of grace. You say this with me? Jesus, I receive your grace. Jesus, I receive your grace. Lord, we thank you so much. We're overwhelmed by your grace, God. So rich and free and full. God, in your grace, you searched for us when we were lost. When we were running for you, God, you found us. God, in your grace, you look at our heart and you know everything that's there and you love us still. It's your amazing grace, God, that you would take us as rebels and turn us into family and that you would love us that deeply. So God, we celebrate your grace. We thank you for your grace and we love you for your grace. In Jesus' name.